0: Welcome back to the Missing Mora Murray podcast. Tonight we have a really special episode. What do you think, Lance?
1: I think it's a really eye-opening, in a way, episode. It's an eye-opening episode. We got some answers. Some of the answers kind of raised some more questions, but you know what felt good? Was that we made contact with law enforcement. It was really refreshing to get the information directly from the source.
0: Yes, good point. And we have a new voice on the podcast uh, for this episode, a woman named Marley Davis, who works for the Massachusetts Public Defender's Office.
1: A new voice for the listeners, but a voice that's been with us for uh, a a few months now.
0: As you mentioned earlier, Lance, this episode is going to spark some internet discussion. And uh, so we want you to send your thoughts to us. At missingmora murray at gmail.com. So, please, um, we want to invite you again to email us uh, any thoughts you have. Missingmora murray at gmail.com is the email address to send it to. Um, you can also reach us on Twitter. We're at Mora Doc. We're also on Facebook at The Disappearance of Mora Murray and on Instagram as well at Missing Mora Murray. And you can message us. ...on those three social media platforms. However, the best way to get us to read it fully and respond... ...is that murray at gmail.com email address. So if uh, if you want to email
1: us uh, your thoughts on this episode, please send them there. As we've been doing this, I've noticed, and, and I'm sure you've noticed as well... ...that we've kind of organically had these, these, these breaks in between when we first started... And we reach a certain point, and, and I remember we had a discussion: Are we going to like do seasons? You know, are we going to try to do that? But it just seemed to be a little bit uh, difficult to, um, especially with this being an open investigation. It seemed difficult to uh, to divide up what we wanted to talk about uh, into seasons because we're learning just as just as uh, just as the audience is learning as well, and it's it's hard to make it into episodes. But I think we've naturally developed these seasons and. This feels to me like season three. And I think you and I are in agreement as to where season one ended and season two began.
0: Yeah, I think it was around episode 16, our Lincoln, New Hampshire episode. I think it was probably that episode was the last episode of season one, if you want to call it. Um, And then episodes 17 to 26 sort of marks season two. Um, And then this is going to be season three. It's going to be produced a little bit differently with... um, multiple interviews per episode, I think for most of these episodes and, uh, and as we did in season two, um, unlike what we did in season one, um, you know, season three, we are going to release episodes when they are done, when they're ready. We're not going to post something if we don't have anything to say. Um, and I know a lot of people were asking where we have been for these last mm, close to six weeks. And we maybe were taking it a little bit slow, But we were waiting, well, we'll describe what happened uh, in this episode. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is what it's going to be. So it's probably not going to be a six-week wait every episode. In fact, like we said, we're going to have episodes out when they're finished. So you may find one in your feed, uh, like, less than a week from now. But whatever the case, it's going to be when the episodes are finished.
1: It's a little strange, uh, and, and I think you agree, looking back on it, in season one, season two, there's been a character development. It's been, and it's been unintentional. I know that you and I have have had a, a, a sort of character development. And if you were to look at this from a, you know, if someone was writing a novel about it, this would be a perfect character arc. We're coming into a, you know, a, a third, uh, a third act, if you will. Um, so, wh- what do characters do in the third act? Well, we try to wrap it up. I mean, you try, try to wrap up the story. And uh, and yes,
0: actually, with this podcast, it, there, there probably is an end. I mean, it's one case. How many episodes can we do? We have about four or five more planned. But after that, I think it's really going to be anything that we can come up with or any news that happens in the case. And, of course, uh, the original intent of this podcast was to promote a documentary, which we are working on and are going to continue to work on more compulsively than we're working on the podcast. So, yes, unfortunately, at some point, there will not be
1: uh, another episode in this feed unless something happens in the case. But that being said, we still have many people that we haven't talked to that we need to talk to. Absolutely. So, yes, don't unsubscribe. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So with that being said, I think it's, uh, it's very cool that we start this episode with a new character in this story and a little bit of uh, insight into the background work that we've been doing during the period of time where we haven't released an episode.
0: That is well said, Lance. And without further ado, let's roll the audio with Marley Davis. (laughs)
1: Welcome to the podcast, Marley Davis. How are you tonight?
2: Hi, guys. I'm good. How are you?
1: We're doing well. We're doing well. Thanks for coming on with us.
2: Thanks for having me. Finally, I'm really excited. It's been a long time coming.
1: Thank you for uh, the work that you've put into this.
2: Oh, sure. It's been it's been a really interesting experience, and I look forward to you know being able to continue to work with you guys.
1: Awesome. And now, um, I just want to say that you uh, you're coming on, and you're allowing us to use your full name.
2: Yeah, I'm, yeah.
1: Well, a lot of people in the, uh, a lot of people who are involved in the case, for one reason or another, preferred themselves to remain uh, some level of uh, anonymity. What is it that you do for a living?
2: I'm a criminal defense investigator. I work for the public defender's office.
1: So what do you do
0: uh, on a day-to-day basis, then, as an investigator for them?
2: I basically work with uh, defense attorneys in my office. Um and anything that they need you know, investigated, I, they ask me and I go out and do it. I talk to people, sometimes take pictures, um, go look at crime scenes and just kind of do the investigative stuff on the defense side so that they can put on a good defense for people.
1: Wow. That sounds incredibly fascinating. When did you get involved with that?
2: So I started at the public defender's office two years ago. Uh, and I've always sort of been in the criminal justice field. Prior to that, I was an analyst at a uh, federal agency. Um, prior to that, I was an investigator for in the corporate world.
1: Awesome. So you've always had some uh, some part of your professional life has always involved researching, um, investigating, and uh, approaching cases and situations with a um, with a point of view that is uh, to get facts, right? I mean, I, I hope I didn't confuse you with, with that, but hopefully you got what I was getting at.
2: Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, that's kind of what what you have to do? I mean, as an investigator, you go out and you and you look for facts,
0: and you're involved in a high profile, wrongful conviction case. Do you want to tell us a little bit
2: about that? Sure. Um, so for the last four years, um I've been working on a wrongful conviction case out of Brooklyn, uh, which is sort of the epicenter of the uh, wrongful conviction crisis that's going on in this country. Um, it's the uh, John Juca case. Um and so if anyone's interested, Uh, you can go to freejohnjuka.com. It's F-R-E-E-J-O-H-N-G-I-U-C-A.com. It's a really um, kind of interesting story. There's a lot of facets to it. Uh, This case pretty much has everything. Germ misconduct, fabricated evidence. Three out of the four people that testified recanted. John's mom went undercover in 2009 and found... uh, Jour misconduct.
1: This case has drawn a lot of attention. Can you talk to us a little bit about how much attention this case has drawn?
2: Well, it's been in the news for the last 12 years. John has been um, trying to prove his innocence for, you know, since the day he was convicted. So, uh, you know, it's been in the news a lot. Um, there's been uh, a couple different TV shows about it. Because it's such a you know, an interesting wrongful conviction case, there's a lot of ground to cover. Um, And there's a lot of questions about this case. So that's probably why it's gotten the attention that it has.
0: So Marley, you emailed us a few months ago, and uh, with with a pretty compelling email, and
2: thank you. yeah,
0: and uh, so I just wanted you to sort of recap what you sent to us in that email. And also, I don't know if we even asked you this, how did you find this podcast in the first place?
2: God, I think I was just taking a long drive and just sort of looking for um, m- more true crime podcasts and and stumbled upon this one. And I had um, known about this case, uh, not as much as I do now, but um, I had known about this case prior to listening. So I just thought it would be interesting. Basically, the reason that I emailed you guys initially was just a I think i don't remember which episode i was listening to i think it was the one where you guys had um a psychology professor or something on um and it just seemed like after listening to a couple that there was a general feeling amongst people uh that this being a random abduction uh was statistically improbable and so people were you know they think this could have been a suicide or that um mara could be could have run away to another country or things like that and um I just kind of wanted to give like a another perspective on it, just statistically why this is, um, why this could have potentially happened. Um, I think there's a little, there was a little bit of a lack of understanding of, of, you know, how crimes traditionally or typically happen. So I just kind of wanted to give my perspective on it.
0: Please, let's hear uh, what you have to say on it.
1: Yeah, cuz that's really interesting um how crimes typically happen. I don't think we've ever talked about anything like that, how crimes typically happen. Well, we're filmmakers, Lance. Yeah, true. true.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think and I'm not saying that, you know, a crime ha- happened here, cuz the reality is is that nobody knows. Um but I think to just dismiss it outright because you don't think that it's likely to have happened because you think that because she was, you know, in New Hampshire as opposed to like in the middle of a of a big metropolitan city is just is just not really accurate. The two things the first one was that uh people keep saying that the uh, the probability of somebody, you know, get choosing to go away and then getting in a car accident and then walking down the street and then just by chance that's the second, you know, that's the couple of minutes that you happen upon a serial killer. Or somebody looking to commit a crime or that's looking for somebody to murder um, and then just happens upon a victim.
0: The psycho the, plot line. You're
2: right. That like, right. The psycho plot line. Right. That like, that is so unlikely that so it just didn't happen. When in the reality of it is, is that it doesn't have to have been somebody that was looking for somebody to kill, um, you know, she could have happened upon somebody that, you know, their original intention wasn't to hurt her. And sometimes situations can spiral out of control very quickly. Um, There are studies that show that violence is influenced by opportunity, meaning that sometimes people aren't thinking about violence or thinking about committing a violent act until the opportunity to do so presents itself two of the major factors that contribute to crime are temptation and opportunity and i think there's no question that mora her being alone at night by herself you know poses the perfect opportunity
0: now marley we talked earlier and you said that episode 26 was driving you crazy the (laughs) live episode with uh with uh, Lance and I, as well as James Renner and Clint Harding. And you said you were ready to jump out of your skin, I think. And so, w- why? What is it about that episode or what someone said or what was being said?
2: Basically, every theory on victimology proves that your chances of being a victim increase or decrease depending on your current circumstances. Somebody said that, uh, quote, it was dark. She was out in the middle of nowhere. This is not an opportune time to ab- for an abduction to take place. And that is completely false, in my opinion. And pretty much every study that I've ever seen on victimology proves that that's not true. Um, Your chances of being a victim actually increase or decrease depending on your current circumstance. Um, In actuality, if you look at the risk factors, Mara was actually at a pretty high risk for being the victim of a crime at that point. She's traveling outside of her normal comfort zone. Um, She's alone. It's nighttime. She's a young woman, by herself, who, you know, there have been reports that she may or may not have been drinking, and there's no cell phone service. She's basically completely alone, and and presumably with no working vehicle. So all of those things sort of make you a higher risk for being a potential victim of a crime.
1: So you said something at the beginning of this where the, and it was really interesting to me, where the... um. It's not that it's an opportunistic killer. It's that there's an opportunity that presents itself in violence. Maybe you didn't say the word violence, but violence presents itself as an opportunity and they don't realize it until it's happened. Um, that was interesting to me. Can you can you elaborate a little bit on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, just hypothetically, somebody somebody could have picked her up and their original intention – doesn't necessarily have to have been, I want to murder this girl. I want to hurt this girl. Um, But intentions can change and circumstances can certainly change and a situation can escalate. And I I think we don't like to think about life that way. I think Renner said that on the last episode that we don't like to think of, you know, that that's not, we don't like to think that things like that are possible, um, but there, we don't, and we don't like to think that one type of person can act, can end someone's life. But in reality, it just doesn't work like that. Okay,
0: so let's get into what it is that happened recently with uh, working with us, and uh, and you, and uh, with the New Hampshire State uh, Attorney General's Office. Yes, let's talk about this.
2: We have a lot of questions. Um, everybody has a lot of questions. A lot of things that have been unanswered. And, you know, because they're unanswered, there's a lot of speculation about um, you know, about certain things. And so I thought, you know, why don't we try to set up something and and ask? Um, so I think it was like in probably late January, early February, we contacted the uh, New Hampshire State Attorney General's office. And we spoke to I spoke to Ben Agati, who's with the cold case unit at the New Hampshire Attorney General's office and asked him Basically laid out my case. Um, I think I basically told him that I thought it was really important to get a straight answer on some of these things. That way, people can sort of move on, and and we have an answer on it. So you know, move on and focus on other things. And um, he said, "Sure."
0: So we had an on-camera interview uh, scheduled for the podcast and documentary.
2: Yes, we did. Originally, it was um, supposed to be in. Early uh, March, we sent them a list of questions in late February.
1: We worked very hard on these
0: questions.
2: We buddy. did
1: right. This, these were questions just to fill everybody in. These were questions that we've been working on behind the scenes as we've been doing the podcast and following the case. Um, we've been compiling a list of questions, and then when Marley came on board uh, with her experience, we realized we should fine tune these questions, um, make them a little bit more professional than what Tim and I uh, came up with. And uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a few weeks of. Um, of taking everything that was out there on the internet, everything that was out there as far as the documents are concerned, um, that had a question mark next to it, or a, a, you know, a highlighter mark next to it. And big thanks to KF for the help in yes. this as well.
2: Yes, thank you, KF. You were big help on all of this.
1: Oh yeah, it was all a uh, like a behind the scenes, uh, you know, meeting at at my place and uh going over the quite a couple of them yeah one time the heat broke that was awesome Mm um
2: (laughs) so we had an on-camera um interview scheduled for the beginning of march which got pushed back to the end of march which then got pushed back to the beginning of april and we had i think it was like april 7th lockdown in concord we were going to be there one o'clock um April 6th rolls around. We're really excited. We have, you know, figured out who's driving and where we're going to eat lunch and all that good stuff.
1: Rented the the equipment, made sure everything, cameras ready, audio ready, big day.
2: The night before at about 730, we got an email canceling.
1: And do you feel uh, comfortable reading the email?
2: It says that, Dear Miss Davis, I am writing you an email as I believe I have misplaced your phone number. Otherwise, I would call you right away. A question has arisen, and we have to cancel tomorrow's interview for one p.m. We will answer as many of your questions that we can within the next forty-eight hours, as not to waste your time. Again, my apologies for the late notice, and I will be back in touch with you very soon. Now, I do want to make a disclaimer that both him and uh, Jeff Strelzin, who we were go- who was we were supposed to have the interview with, they're they were pretty nice to us about it. I mean, they were very apologetic about it, but. Yeah. You know, they did cancel the night before at 6 7:30 uh, at night and it was
1: yeah and they 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 were very courteous they were very open and um and and open minded about the whole thing um and i just want to say that 48 hours later on may 3rd we got the answers Uh, A month and 48 hours later. That's what I I was being. I was being sarcastic. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. 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 That's,
0: uh, (laughs) yeah. I want to back it up a little bit to where he said a question has arisen and we never heard what that question was, right?
2: I spoke to Strelzin the next day and he basically just said that the higher ups had decided that it wasn't something that they uh, wanted to do. That was really all he said. Okay.
0: And we have to respect that. Um, and uh, the fact that they gave us answers at all uh, is, uh, is is very pleasing to me. And I know that uh, you're a little disappointed that it didn't happen. And of course, we all are, um, because we would have had something on camera and on audio. But we did get answers
2: from them. We did. We, we got some answers from them, some of the questions they sent back. I mean, the interesting thing about it was that I we just didn't understand... We sent them the questions in late February, so for them to, you know, cancel the night before was kind of weird. Um, and then also to take an extra month to go through questions that they had already had for a month, um, you know, it just seemed a little weird.
1: I think we should. Uh, I think we should get into these questions. Let's get into them. I just
0: want to thank them publicly uh, as well for supplying these answers. I think it was uh, it was great. They didn't have to do this, and they did. And uh, we really appreciate it, Uh, Ben Agati and Jeff uh, Strelzen.
1: Now, we'll go through these questions and we'll read what their answers were. Uh, There's probably... Um, better than half of our questions they didn't answer. We don't have uh, any reason for why they didn't answer it so we're not going to read those questions that they didn't answer because we don't know what the investigation is. We don't know where they're at with it. We don't know why they didn't answer it and any speculation that we're going to have as to why would only just cause confusion. It would be irresponsible of us to, to start making up reasons why they didn't answer it. It could be because they don't have an answer or it could be because it's pertinent to the case.
2: Question one actually had a couple different parts to it. Uh, it was a walkthrough of the official timeline. Specifically, what time did Maura send the email to her professors stating that she would be absent for the week? And they answered, Maura Murray sent the email to her professors the day of her disappearance. They didn't give us a specific time. Uh, we said, did Maura notify either of her bosses that she would be absent for the week? And they said, no, she did not. The next question was, according to the Boston Globe, Maura withdrew $280 at 340 Can you confirm? This was an interesting answer. They said Mara did withdraw $280, but it was earlier than 3.40 p.m.
1: Yep. That, that, that was interesting.
0: Which ATM did she use and which liquor store did she visit?
2: Uh, their answer was, Mara left the liquor store at 3.43 p.m. We are unable to comment on which store she visited.
1: What time was Mara seen leaving UMass?
2: No witness reported seeing Mara at the time she left UMass.
0: Where was she last seen specifically? Did she converse with anyone as she left? Did she appear distraught? Was she carrying anything? If so, what?
2: We are unable to comment on the last person to see Mora at UMass.
1: Can you confirm which direction Mora was heading on Route 112 when she
2: crashed? We believe she was headed eastbound on Route 112.
0: How were you able to definitively identify Mora as the driver?
2: All evidence collected to date points to Mara as being the driver. Now, can I say something about this question?
0: Please, because I am dying to put this one to bed.
2: I I mean, we really can't based on their answer.
0: All evidence collected is pretty definitive. They have no reason to believe it wasn't Mara.
2: Oh, absolutely. No, no, no. Like, definitively, without a doubt, it was Mara as the driver. All of the evidence that they have points to Mara being the driver. The thing is, is that that's not actually what the question was.
1: Right, it's kind of a denial. Or not a denial, but it's kind of a, they they skirted it. It points to her.
2: Maybe our question wasn't clear. Our question was, when they got to the scene and they looked at the car and they, they see that it's registered to Fred Murray.
1: That wasn't the question, though. No, no, she's saying what our question should have been. Okay.
2: The point was to figure out, like, when they, from the time that they found the vehicle to the time they put the bolo out, which was i think the next day how did they narrow down that it was mara as opposed to her sister or even fred who had been driving the vehicle that was what we wanted to know was what was the thing that said this person driving this car was this person let's put a bolo out so maybe the question wasn't clear but
1: and we can we can follow up with them
2: sure
0: okay so i see yeah so their answer all evidence collected to date points to more as being the driver is definitely
1: a little unclear then yeah it's kind of just saying the it's kind of saying what we already know officially it goes a little further than what we are a, yeah. a little bit i think a little bit yeah all right question four can you confirm as detective Scorinza stated in the disappeared episode that a circle of red liquid was found in the snow Where was the circle in relation to Mora's vehicle? Can the inference be made that the circle was caused by someone pouring out the contents of the bottle found under the vehicle into the snow?
2: There was an area of red liquid located under Mora's vehicle. We are unable to comment on any inferences being made from this fact.
0: Where was Mora's vehicle towed? Could it have been driven from the scene?
2: Mora's vehicle was towed by Lavoie's towing company to the troop released to the family, and then taken in for additional processing several months later. And this is interesting, right? Because we always thought that it was towed back to Lavoie's, uh, but they said it was towed to the, to the troop.
0: Yeah, Mike Lavoie's personal garage is what we had gotten and what uh, Fred had confirmed as well. So I think they, they might be skipping that step in this answer is my thought.
2: Pro- yeah, probably.
0: And obviously to them it's not a, a big detail something too, that they need to uh, talk about.
1: Right. The 911 log indicates that a call was placed from Hanover PD to Grafton County at 742 regarding the Atwoods 911 call. What time was the phone call made from the Atwoods house to Hanover PD?
2: We have no comment other than what information is reflected in the log.
1: There
0: have been conflicting reports regarding whether or not Mora appeared intoxicated Can you confirm whether she did or did not appear intoxicated?
2: We are unable to comment on her appearance, but there was evidence of open alcohol containers both at the scene and in the vehicle.
1: It has been reported that a canine unit tracked Morris Scent 100 yards east of the crash site. It has also been reported that both Butch Atwood and Rick Forcier lived approximately 100 yards from the crash site. Can you confirm then that... The canine scent was lost in front of their houses.
2: There was a dog track that was conducted from the scene of the crash. It's not really an answer, but.
0: Yeah, I, I'm confused on that one. Um, wondering why they even answered
1: at all.
2: Yeah. Same with the next one, too, actually.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. It's like, hey, we want to answer, but here's what we can give you. Just really confirming that, that, that there was there were dogs there. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe if you read it like with an emphasis on was, there was a dog track that was conducted from the scene of the crash. Maybe that's just safer than saying that's correct. And I don't want to get into anything else.
0: What is the official word on the rag in the tailpipe?
2: A number of reports did document finding a rag in the tailpipe of the vehicle.
1: I was a little let down by the answer of this. I was excited. And then I saw that it was wrapped up in uh, 15 words saying, yep, it was there. (laughs) that's what it was well just like that newspapers and
0: and uh media reported that they didn't they don't even say that it was there i know but we happen to know that the exhaust system was removed the entire exhaust
1: system was removed yeah why did police request moore's belongings to be returned to them after being released to the family
2: Investigations may often require retesting or reexamination. It is not unusual in cases that start more as a missing persons investigation which develop into more of a criminal investigation.
0: Okay. So is that is that proof of them saying that this is what it is, it started as a missing persons investigation and developed into more of a criminal investigation? Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to speak for law enforcement, but I think, you know, whenever somebody is missing for 12 years you know at that point i think you have to start looking at it as more of a criminal investigation
1: it's interesting that he capitalized missing m and persons p missing persons i i just find that interesting what goes on in in someone's subconscious that makes them think that missing person investigation needs capitalization describe the state of mora's
0: dorm room What did law enforcement infer from the state of her dorm room? Has law enforcement's stance changed over the years regarding the state of Maura's dorm room and whether or not it was significant in any way to her disappearance?
2: Maura's room was orderly and some items appeared to be packed. Items were not in any sort of disarray. Forget the second part about items being in disarray. What we really wanted to know was, was her dorm room packed up? Um... There's been a lot of talk about whether or not it was packed up. And if so, what did that mean? Um, And I think their answer is pretty, you know, sort of puts that to bed.
1: Does it? No, because I'm looking at this and it says uh, some items appeared to be packed. So what does appear to be packed? Maybe she, because I suppose if someone looked at my place, I have things that are in boxes that are packed up. But, you know, I'm not leaving. So you could say that items appeared, some items appeared to be packed. Items were not in any sort of disarray.
2: Right. So, I mean, so but the I think it sort of puts to bed the idea that her entire dorm room was packed in boxes.
1: Oh, absolutely. That it was the entire dorm. Yeah, yeah. That she was ready to go and there was, like, boxes that were labeled kitchen, living room, you know.
2: Well, doesn't this sort of confirm that she was unpacking?
1: I I don't think it confirms anything to me. I don't think so, no. He's just, he's literally giving the state of her room. It seemed like some items appeared to be, some items appeared to be packed wasn't in disarray, and it was orderly. Law enforcement made reference early on to a note left by Mora in her dorm room describing it as a possible suicide note. Later, Fred Murray stated publicly that the note was actually a printed copy of an old email from her f- boyfriend, Bill. Can you confirm Fred's statement to be true? If not, what was the content of the letter?
2: We have not recovered any apparent suicide note. K F and I were talking about this last night that we thought it was interesting that they refuted what the cops said.
0: well, they definitely don't assume it's a suicide note based on this. Not only do they don't assume it, it sounds like they don't even think it's a suicide note
2: right, but it's interesting that it wasn't it uh the cop that initially said that it was a suicide it was a possible suicide note.
1: I don't know who first said
0: that it was a possible suicide note. In the state's response to Fred Murray's Freedom of Information Act lawsuit, it says, quote, There are grand jury subpoenas that are not public and which would pinpoint the focus of the investigation. End quote. Withholding specific details, can you confirm that this means that a grand jury was convened in this case?
2: Regardless of whether a grand jury was or was not convened in this matter, Superior court and ethical rules prohibit us from making any comments on any and all grand jury matters. And I just want to point out that this was sort of a, I mean, the language that they use in their response pretty much says that there were grand jury subpoenas set out. So this was really more of a confirmation question than anything else.
1: In the state's response, it also states, quote, there are also search warrants that are not public, end quote. Withholding specific details, can you confirm that searches of specific areas were conducted pursuant to a warrant? Are there any details you can discuss regarding any searches that were conducted?
2: Regardless of whether search warrants were or were not issued in this matter, superior court and ethical rules prohibit us from making any comments on any and all matters sealed by the court.
0: Butch Atwood's common law wife recently told a journalist that her husband took two of the four polygraph exams alluded to in the state's response and that he either failed the first or that it was inconclusive. Can you comment on whether this is accurate? And if so,
1: what the results of the second exam were?
2: We are unable to comment on the results of any polygraph test.
1: Do you think unable means not willing or unable means literally unable?
2: I think it means unwilling. Okay. How would they, you know, they're the ones that gave the polygraph.
0: But why would they be unwilling to tell about Butch unless he was even, you know, unless there was 1% chance that he was still a suspect?
1: But I don't think that it's, maybe we have to start thinking about it as, um, if it's an open investigation, it's not so much, you know, if Butch isn't a suspect or is a suspect, it's a fact that they can't release no matter what. You're probably right, yeah. Have any of Mora's missing possessions car keys, credit, debit card, cell phone, etc. been located since her disappearance?
2: No, they have not. So that means that the black backpack, not Morris.
0: Was any forensic testing concluded inside the A-frame house? It has been reported that bones were found in the A-frame house by the new owners and that these bones were given to the police. Can you comment on whether these bones were found to be human? What about the carpet sample reported given to police? Has it been ruled out as having any connection to Mora? At this point, have police been able to rule out the possibility of a connection between the A-frame house in general and Mora's disappearance?
2: We're familiar with the house you're referring to. Questions surrounding the house were generated by private investigators working on the case. We have no knowledge about any information on any bones being discovered there.
1: There are reports that there were areas of freshly laid concrete near the crash site in the days following the crash. Has this been reported to police and have any searches been conducted of these areas?
2: We are unaware of any such reports and there would be some difficulty to pouring concrete in February. However, we will investigate this based on your assertion.
1: That's probably my favorite or top three favorite uh, answers. However, we will investigate this based on your assertion. This shows that they're, I mean, unless this is, you know, he's he's full of hot air. This shows that they're they're going to investigate something that we brought to their attention that they were unaware of. It's pretty cool. Yeah.
2: Yep. Let me ask you, why is it difficult to pour concrete in February?
1: Because the ground's frozen. You need to dig it up. You need to level it. You need to excavate. There's probably snow. That's not impossible, but it's definitely difficult.
0: Though police have said the phone call to Billy was from the Red Cross, Billy's mother is firm in her stance that it is impossible to know that. Have you been able to definitively confirm that the phone call Billy received while on the
1: plane to New Hampshire came from the Red Cross?
2: Yes, we did confirm that the phone call came from the Red Cross.
1: At what point did Mora, having met with foul play, become the prevailing theory over suicide or runaway, or is it not the prevailing theory at this point?
2: Foul play is dominant among several theories. We don't know whether her disappearance was voluntary, involuntary, or whether she was the victim of a crime. Everything is still on the table, which is why we are treating this case accordingly.
0: Is there a reason the ATM footage has not been released to the public?
1: Would we be able to view it?
2: The footage was obtained, and we are willing to release it to the public in the near future.
1: I like that answer. It's among the top couple of answers that that, uh, that stood out to me. What I would like to do is just issue a plea to anybody listening. Don't pressure them to do it. If he says that he's willing that they are willing to release it to the public in the near future, let it happen. For years, local rumors have circulated that Mora met with foul play and that her body was dumped in a number of locations, including bodies of water, under the foundations of houses, wood chippers, etc. At this time, do you believe any of the rumors to be more credible than others?
2: No. As explained above, all leads are still being investigated and almost anything is still possible.
1: Are
0: there any that have been completely ruled out at this time?
2: Some rumors have been ruled out, but we are unable to comment on the specifics of those rumors.
1: How tuned in is law enforcement to the internet chatter regarding this case?
2: We are receptive to receiving information from whatever the source.
1: Have
0: law enforcement garnered any useful information from what's been written online? Do you think the attention this case has gotten online has been a detriment to the investigation, or has it been helpful at all?
2: The attention this case has garnered has generated some leads, although none have panned out when investigated. However, Efforts to keep people's attention focused on the case are not detrimental if they have the potential to generate new leads.
1: Is law enforcement aware of the taunting videos made by Alden Olson on YouTube? Has he been looked into as a person of interest?
2: We are aware of those videos.
1: We were hoping you could tell us your perspective
0: on why you think this case is so popular. It seems to be very popular among the internet community slash armchair detectives. Why is this the case people are so fascinated with?
2: People love a mystery, and Mara Murray's disappearance is a mystery. The internet is also sometimes a forum for speculation and conspiracy theories, in spite of facts to the contrary or no facts at all. The combination seems to fuel much discussion in cases like this.
1: I think uh, out of... How many questions did we have? We had 40-something, 42 42 questions. Um, I think their answers were were very um, standard for written answers. I feel that they probably canceled this and felt more comfortable answering things in writing so they could properly choose their wording. They were very careful about how they approached it. And I I completely understand it because we don't want to—it was disappointing to not go to them and 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 have the cameras there and record their their uh their answers i think at some point they realized listen this is that we can't say anything that's gonna come out you know even if you mess up even if you have a freudian slip that could go out there to the masses and conclusions could be drawn that shouldn't be drawn this way they they were able to control it and give us more factual responsible answers
2: yeah, and I also do know that the uh that the questions had to be vetted um and that the answers uh also were vetted. So vetted by whom? Well, when I spoke to uh I think it was and when I spoke to him he uh, said that they were waiting to get the answers either back from somebody else or um that it was that he was they were waiting to get the answers from somebody else basically. So
1: I think that this is a step in the right direction with our communication with uh, with law enforcement. I'd like the uh, relationship that's been formed and and the relationship that we're currently establishing and, and nurturing. At any time, if any of the law enforcement mentioned Strelzin, Agati. If they'd like to come on and discuss the case in a in a controlled environment, we're more than happy to do it. The more information, and they said it in their answer, they'll they'll investigate any any leads that are given to them that are credible. The you know we gave them something and they'll investigate it uh, based on our assertion. Um, if it's if they come on and it's in a controlled environment and someone hears it and they they know something or they they connect the dots. Uh, that, that couldn't be connected before for whatever reason, I think that would that, that might go a long way to, uh, to, to help the investigation. So I'm just putting that out there.
2: Absolutely.
0: Well, great. Uh, I am uh, thrilled that we got these answers, um, and I know that we have an open line of communication and we can submit more questions at some point in the future. So maybe that is something that we will do. So, Marley, I really just want to thank you on behalf of myself, Lance KF, the rest of the podcast listening audience and uh, we just want to say thank you and uh, these answers have been very helpful thank you very much for coming on
2: yeah uh thanks for having me guys yeah
1: it's, it's really it's a a sign of deeper uh investigations it's a sign of bigger things to come